0: Welcome to Deep Pacific, a Pacifica podcast that shares islander views and voices. I'm Kalani Rages, your millennial indigenous science nerd and host. We are recording in the last week of August 2020. Rest in peace. Chadwick Bozeman, the Black Panther. Cancer truly sucks. May the spirit, strength, and power of the Black Panther go on living in your fans, and in your family. We have not forgotten, black lives all around the world still matter, especially in West Papua, which still needs to be free. Breonna Taylor's killers all need to be arrested. The carceral system needs to be reformed. Queer people still need to be supported. And holding corporations accountable needs to be the first paragraph of any discussion on climate change, along with placing a great emphasis on Indigenous stewardship and knowledge. California is burning yet again. Give the people their land back. Hashtag Landback, it's 2020. I would like to begin with the acknowledgement that I am recording on Guahan ki Islas Marianas, currently a territory occupied by the US. I am not from here, so I am a settler. Although I am Chamorro, it is still with respect that I occupy this land and space. We begin every episode with a quote from an indigenous person that resonates. Today's quote is an excerpt from the poem, My Dear Children. So you guys were poor mother dearest, laughed my Kiwi children. Define poor, said I to my laughing children. Listen to me, my children, said I with my Tongan accent. To be poor is a very strong word, my dearest ignorant descendants. I may be poor for not having McDonald's, KFC, or Chinese takeaways, or not having Nike, Adidas, Puma slashed into my possessions, but there were heaps of mangoes, green, red, orange, yellow, big and small, Guavas were juicy, hanging from thousands of trees at our backyard. White sands softly blanketed our beautiful beaches. Green cool coconuts quenched our thirsts in hot summer days. Is this poverty to you? Think carefully of the word poor, for it defines and narrows heaps of others' perspectives. My dearest Kiwi children, you do miss heaps in my so old days. I wasn't stuck inside the house with a flat screen for entertainment. My eyes used to feast on colors of flowers in our forest. I wasn't stuck with an Xbox with my fingers pushing buttons. My fingers ran white soft sands dripping the ocean between them. I wasn't stuck with an iPod with heavy noise in my ears. I sang with the elders and danced through the rhythm of the night. I wasn't stuck with an iPhone, surfing the net all the time, ruining my sight. I roamed our streets with all of my school friends. I may be poorer in your eyes, my little Kiwi children, said I. But I did have fantabulous fun in my days, laughed I. Tongan-born author and poet Meppa Taufavuni is an author, poet, community organizer, educator, Wife and mother of four children, as well as a graduate of the University of the South Pacific and the University of Auckland. This quote resonates because this episode will be about Pacifica values. What are they? And our thoughts on how we can carry some of them into our futures. You will hear from Lisiate, a Tongan diaspora activist and first time contributor, Ha'ani, a Chamorro from Guahan with roots in Samoa. Toa, an Itoke or indigenous person of Fiji. Tamiti, a Samoan Tahitian educator. Jonathan, a Papuan with roots in West Papua as well as Papua New Guinea, another first-time contributor. RT, a Chamorro, Guahan, with roots in Chuk. Trini, a Chamorro, ginning Saipan. And Tomas, another Chamorro but ginning Luta and Guahan. And of course, last but not least, Carol Ann, the storyteller from Pompeii. You definitely want to hear what she has to say. And we will end with a discussion of a scientific paper on the status of emergency healthcare in the Pacific. Something I felt was very relevant to these COVID times. The paper was published just this year, so stick around for it. Now let's do it. Let's dive in. So, the driving question. Let me start by giving the definition of the word value. As you know, the word value can mean different things to different people. We can value something like a verb, or we can say, This is a value of my culture, like a noun. The verb value means to consider someone or something to be important or beneficial. We value liberation for all Pacifica people. The noun value means a person or culture's principles or standards of behavior, one's judgment on what is important in life. For example, Chamorro culture emphasizes the value of wisdom and age in our elders or manamku, which is why you must pay them respect when you first see them. You will hear one of our contributors speak about that. Values are a great way to emphasize what is important to a culture, to a people, what we prioritize and spend time on. The problem here with our values, the elephants in the room might point out, is that by emphasizing certain aspects of our lives, obviously other aspects will suffer. Valuing the family name over reporting abusers. Valuing sons over daughters. Togetherness over personal ambition. Putting too much emphasis, perhaps, on shame to hold our children accountable as opposed to pride and then throw colonialism in the mix and who knows what has emerged on the other side. I will tell you who knows the people speaking on it today. know both types of values, the noun and verb are discussed in this episode. So now let me turn to you, my dear Pacifica listener who I value. What values have your Pacifica culture or cultures imprinted upon you? Are they similar to what other Pacific Island cultures have? Have they changed or evolved due to colonialism? There was something going around Twitter earlier about the standards of success and what wealth means to us today. What makes a wealthy life to one person is another's poor life, like the poem excerpt we read. What do we prioritize in our lives, or better yet, how are we showing what's important to us, what we value? For example, on social media. Do we devote time to cultivate it like we cultivate our Instagram feeds? Like we cultivate our social media following? What are we working towards as a culture? What values are we passing down as ancestors? What would you answer if someone asked you those big questions? Let us know on our Twitter or Instagram, at Deep Pacific Pod, because I would love to hear it. Let me just say that I am by no means a policing authority on values, and we all know how we feel about the police. By putting this episode out into the world, it is not my intention for us to pass judgment on ourselves. It is what it is, but starting to have these honest conversations with ourselves and with each other, I think, is so important. Key word here being honesty, not your social media self. Yourself, be kind to that self, but also be honest. I'll put a warning: there is explicit content contained. One of our contributors did drop an f-bomb in this episode, and now I will let our first-time contributor Lisiate take it away.
1: Fakatap ke ek maaf moi I just like to state beforehand that these views are my own and in no way represent Tongans as a whole. This is a perspective of a cis-head Pacifica male born and raised a settler on Turtle Island. And much like our sea of islands, we are vast, we are distinct, we are beautiful but we are not a monolith. And as for my values, uh, if I had to pick, I'd probably be reciprocity, empathy, and solidarity. For the first one, my grandma, rest in peace, got a call from my parents that they needed help taking care of the kids. Within a week, my grandma was on a plane to America for the very first time, crossing the same wana that our ancestors lived and thrived on to come take care of her Mokopuna. She came out of love, certainly, but a reciprocal love that flows both ways. The concept of working together, struggling together, mourning together with and for each other for the benefit of the collective is one that guides me daily. As for empathy, learning to understand and share the feelings of another and in turn be called to action based on that empathy has shifted my worldview completely. My parents' house growing up felt more like a motel than a house because we would always have family over. Maybe they'd stay a week, maybe they'd stay a year. When I was younger, I was just happy for the company, I didn't think much of it. But that open-door policy that my parents and my grandma lived by taught me at an early age the radical notion of empathy. I still run into folks who used to stay with us and truly enjoy seeing them thrive here. As for the last one, and to me the most important one, solidarity, I think this one is a synthesis of the previous two, the mutual aspect of reciprocity and the ability to empathize with others. To quote the late Marxist philosopher Paulo Freire, Solidarity requires that one enter into the situation of those whom one is solidary. It is a radical posture. True solidarity with the oppressed means fighting at their side to transform the objective reality, which has made them beings for another, unquote. For as if colonialism has affected my values, I think colonialism as well as capitalism actively affect our values for the worse. Prime example is our Pacifica siblings in West Papua, fighting against an ongoing genocide that started in 1962 and continues to this day. Imperialism, colonialism, capitalism are the systems that perpetuate and uphold the oppression of our Pacifica siblings, all in the name of resources that will only further entrench capitalist power and do nothing for the indigenous people on whose land they steal these resources from. For question two, what does your culture value? Culture, like most Pacifica cultures, places a heavy emphasis on obedience, respect, and humility. This isn't all of the values. There's a lot, but um, these values, they're admirable, and they've taught me many lessons, and they've led me in many ways. But in retrospect, these values sometimes stifle the voice of dissent. Sometimes they don't allow for open and honest dialogue, and when taken to extremes, they can be extremely destructive. Many a times abusers are allowed to go unpunished because doing so would bring shame to the family name. And I think when we take obedience to that level, when we value a family name over actual family members, I think it's time to reassess and rethink some of our values. This is an extreme to be sure, but it still must be addressed. As for the last question, what is your biggest hope for the future of your culture? My hope for my tongue is that we continue to have honest discussions about anti-blackness, homophobia, and transphobia in our communities and extend these values we hold dear to all and not just those who look and talk like us. Wow,
0: what a great first-time contribution. Thank you so much, Luciate. Sainama Asi, your perspective was highly valued here in this space and I felt like there was just so much to it. It was inspiring, it was passionate, it was educational, it was nostalgic. Luciate mentions the three values that he holds dear in his culture, empathy, reciprocity, and solidarity. Obviously, colonialism and capitalism has affected those values in his culture, but like he mentions, learning to understand and share the feelings of another and in turn be called to action based on that empathy Shifted his world view. That is so awesome. Lisiate mentions that his grandmother moved from Tonga to the States in one week to take care of him and his siblings. And that's something that so many Pacifica people can relate to. And I think that that is beautiful. There is a flip side to this coin. There have definitely been some dreams stifled because people out there go and help their families. But at the same time... It's nice to know that no matter how low you go, you will always have family there to fall back on because they'll help you. That's just how we are. That's how our cultures are. And it was really nice to see that validation from Tongan culture as well. Lisiate mentions that his parents' house was more like a motel growing up because they had an open door policy. But he also touched upon something that is attention in retrospect. These values sometimes stifle the voice of dissent. Sometimes they don't allow for open and honest dialogue, which is something we need to consider. When values go so deeply that a family name means more than a family member, there's something wrong there. Leciate mentions that his hope is for his culture to have conversations on anti-blackness, homophobia, and transphobia in their communities. It's acknowledging a lot of elephants in the rooms, and I share the same hope. Solidarity always. If you want to know more about Paulo Freire's Pedagogy of the Oppressed, I will include a link in the show notes, as well as a link to Luciate's Twitter page. Definitely give him a follow if you have Twitter and want to. See some of his fiery stuff. I personally have been following him a little while now and uh, he does not disappoint. <laughs> so, say Asi luciate for your first time contribution. It was friggin' awesome.
2: Hafade and talofa, everyone. This is Haani San Nicolas and I am recording from the island of Guahan, Gi Islas Marianas. It is one of the many islands that the indigenous Chamorro people call home. So whenever I think of both my Chamorro and Samoan cultures and the values that I pull from them, I think of this one very short Chamorro phrase. It is just two words, nai animu. Translating this from Chamorro to English, it literally means to give spirit. When I was younger, I never understood what this phrase actually meant. And if anything, it just confused me, so I never tried to find out. It wasn't until about a year ago that I learned that this phrase was shared among Chamorros and other island residents during the Japanese occupation of Guam during World War II. It was something spoken to uplift one another in a time when violence and death seemed inescapable. It was a piece of simple solace during such dark moments. It basically meant, do not give up. As I sit safely in the comfort of my home, I know that I have so much privilege to never have to experience what my people and my family members before me went through during that time. Yet, two words have never been so profound to me. As I begin to grow more into my own through the many facets of my life, like family, career, and education, I find so much strength in this phrase. It's hard to put into words, but if I had to try to describe this value, it would be something like ancestral encouragement, resilience, and persistence combined into one. It is drawing strength from our past to be strong for our future. It is knowing that I would not be alive today had it not been for the courageous, long line of people before me. It is knowing that the land that my feet touch has also known so many tomorrows. It is knowing that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It is so many things brilliantly compounded into just two short words. This past year was one of the most difficult ones of my life. On a particularly hard day, I went to visit my grandma and grandpa's cemetery plot here in Guahan, where they lay beside each other. As I sat down on the bench before them, with my eyes slowly tearing up, the wind picked up to the point that the two large coconut trees beside me started to wrestle with each other. After hearing some of the trees' leaves drop, I felt a very cool breeze move from my arms to my shoulders, For some reason, the phrase Na'i Ani Mu kept ringing in my ear once that gush of wind passed, and I knew it was my grandparents encouraging me to be strong and to keep going. With the current state of the COVID pandemic causing illness, distance learning, uncertainty, loss, separation, unemployment, and anger among my community and of the entire world, this phrase cannot be more fitting. Whatever faith you practice or whatever gods you believe in, Na animo, give spirit, keep strong, the people of Pacifica are the living manifestation of this phrase, existing, being, and thriving, despite our complicated colonial histories. My hope for future generations of indigenous people is to give spirit and hold on, even when it feels like it is impossible. You have thousands of people before you, with you, and to come Situs maasi fafitai. thank you all.
0: Okay, that was Ha'ani, a Chamorro in Zan Samoa. I loved Ha'ani's piece. It was very inspiring. It was educational. It was nostalgic. It had a positive energy. She spoke about the phrase nā'i animu, which means to give spirit or keep strong and don't give up. It is drawing strength from our past to be strong for the future. And I love that idea because Ani actually did something very interesting here where she spoke about feeling her grandparents' spirit around her. And for somebody, how do you say white people? They may listen to that and be like, oh my God, that is so not true. Like how, like she was just imagining things, making things up. Like, no, believe it or not. This is a common experience among Chamorro people. There is a special period of time when you're mourning, and even after mourning, if someone's passed away that was very near and dear to you, and you see this specific animal that perhaps reminds you of them, and this animal kind of hangs out around you for an unusually long time or displays unusual behavior around you, then you kind of have this feeling of, oh, that was my grandpa. That was my this and that and that's a very common experience. We believe in bad spirits. We believe in good spirits. We believe in our ancestral spirits, and we believe our ancestors are there to protect us and to guide us. It's very strange trying to explain it to someone who is not Pacifica. Maybe even diaspora don't feel that connection. I'm I'm not sure. But um, having grown up around it and having it all around me, I've always felt that connection, although I've never seen a spirit, I don't think. And perhaps I have, who knows? I would love to hear more Totomona stories, more ancestral stories. We're probably gonna do an episode on it, to be quite honest. So I'd like to remind everyone, draw strength from our past to be strong for the future. Thank you so much, Ha'ani, for sharing that personal piece with us. (laughs)
3: What are my values? Has colonialism affected those values? I believe that my values are a direct result of colonialism. The values that have been instilled into me are those that are supposed to see the survival of my own people And that's the adaptation of our culture into the new world and times that we live in. But if anything, as my ancestors have done, so I will do now. I will accept those, all those who come before me. All those who offer their perspective. All those who offer to give. Just as the one who accepted all. So will I. After all, the more spices, the more flavour, the more pleasing the dish. <laughs> My culture has always been about the vanua or Vivekani. The relationships between people. The greater emphasis has always been in the people. In recent years, however, there's been a marked change where, in yesteryears, we'd see Nayao, that is the treasures or gifts of our people, being traded or exchanged freely. The old ones would say it needs to be given away or else it would just rot. Nothing was stored. And in the end, everyone was happy, I believe. However, nowadays, with the introduction of new treasures, of new gifts, there have been those who would not pass on. And that is a sad thing. What was once an insult in our culture, that is, to kanadzubadzuba, or to eat in a bowed way, is now, Past becoming a norm. That is not to say that they are not wrong. I believe this is part of the adaptation we need to do. But it all comes down to the definition of treasures. If your treasure is people, then you would not mind anything else. But if your treasure is in materials, then nothing can fill your heart. What is the biggest hope for the future of my culture? Reality, I hope it survives. I hope that a hundred years from now, we will still have our culture. I hope that a thousand years from now, we will still have our culture even if the seas rise and reclaim the lands, no matter where we be, that we will still have our culture. After all, what is one's identity without culture? Thank you.
0: All right, so that was Toa, as you all know. Any Toa fans out there, Toa was on the first episode on identity. Toa also gave a piece on our decolonization episode as well as on our language episode. That's episodes 1, 2, and 4. Definitely give his other pieces a listen if you haven't. Toa mentions, my culture has always been about the Vanua and the relationships between the people. And I find it really interesting as someone who didn't grow up with our lineage firmly stamped into our memory. It is really interesting to see someone else come from a culture that places a huge emphasis on that. It's a huge value to know your lineage and I think that is so cool. Toa mentions that before people exchanged their gifts freely and it was good for the most part but These days, we see the introduction of new treasures and gifts comes down, really, to the definition of treasures. If your treasure is in materials, then nothing can fill your heart. That was profound, and I appreciate it being brought into the discussion because colonialism and capitalism has truly affected some of our people and their values as well. Toa's biggest hope for the future of his culture is that a hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, they still have it, and can you imagine having this man as your ancestor? Oh my God! Sinama Asitoa for your insightful
4: piece as always. Yodana, it's Demiti. I think a person's values are heavily impacted by the environments they evolve in, and I've really been shaped by my multicultural and multiracial upbringing and my lower-middle-class upbringing as well. I've been influenced by what I've read, what I've studied, who I've met, where I've lived. Because wherever I went, I adapted and took on values and behaviours from the place I had moved to like a sponge. Anyway, I'll just say a few words about my Polynesian values and culture. I want to be honest, I don't really know what they are today, so I've really been questioning myself. I've been wondering what are my fenua and fenua's values. What is part and parcel of my culture? Where can I catch a reflection over values? Can I witness those reflections of culture and values in the peace and grace we find in an Aparima, danced by the young and old? In the smile and cheekiness of our knowing Matahiapo? Will I catch a glimpse of our culture and values shining through the lending hand and respect of my students in class? or in the cheerfulness and glee we feel at a fia fia? Or in the feeling of gratefulness for land and sea and sun we feel at the end of a good meal? Is it in our heiva's coordination that we may find a reflection of our work ethic, our greatness and perseverance? Is it in the puddle of a team that I'll find our valuing of teamwork and effort and consistency? Is it in the philosophical depth of the languages we speak, that I will find the essence of our values. I've also been wondering if our values are reflected in the way we just let corruption slide because we don't want to cause any trouble, eitape apea as we say here, or is it also in the way we pollute our fenua mindlessly, with no shame nor regret, spoliation, letting it happen. I can't clearly see the goals we're setting for ourselves. I can't hear the people speak over all the chatter, over all the La République Francaise and Tahiti and the founded upon the Holy Trinity in Samoa and the we need to keep the economy going and growing in COVID-19 times. I can't clearly see our original ancestral values shine through on a daily basis. I can't hear our original myths or stories Our history, our philosophy. I don't hear us discuss our identity or values, but I hope to hear our voices emerge from the chatter sooner rather than later.
0: All right, so that was Timiti of Samoa, Tahiti. Uh, So Timiti was in the very first episode on identity. So many people related to her piece because she did speak about how being called half-caste affected her upbringing and her worldview, as well as how she relates to her culture. I thought it was very powerful as well. Um, You should definitely give the first episode on identity. You gotta listen if you haven't yet. Today, Tamiti's piece is more poetic. She mentions a lot of points of tension, privilege, corruption, taking care of the land... She also said, is our values seen in the feeling of gratefulness for land and sea and sun that we feel at the end of a good meal? Is it in the philosophical depth of the languages we speak that I will find the essence of our values? And then she hit upon the part, the elephant. I've always been wondering if our values are reflected in the way we just let corruption slide because we don't want to cause any trouble. That is an important part to make because I feel like many Pacifica countries and territories are suffering from corruption. Just this year, corruption has been kind of blossoming, I would say, under the Trump administration. So this is something to think about and definitely call out if you are in a position to do so. I feel like our elected officials are put into positions of authority by people in the hopes that that person will hold our interests and not hold their own interests above ours. And way too often recently, it has been the opposite. You know, Guam's congressman, Guam's governor, her legal counsel, the governor of the CNMI, countless senators. You know, we have to hold them accountable. We have to call them out on their BS because if we're not doing that, there's going to be nobody who knows about it. There's going to be quid pro quo. There's going to be people who only care about themselves and not the community. And that's a sad thing. They take on this colonizer mindset. And so Tamiti speaks about it in Tahiti. And that's a struggle that we all share. And it's something that we need to talk about. Because what value are we passing down to our kids when we allow corruption to slide? She mentions original ancestral values. And for many cultures... I guess our values will change and adapt to modern times, but it is kind of interesting to think about the values our ancestors had and how we keep them alive today. Saina for your piece, Tamiti, it was insightful as always. Love hearing her voice. I will warn you that our next contributor did drop an F-bomb, <laughs> but if you are anything like me, you will enjoy it. So... Now, let's hear from another first-time contributor, Jonathan of Papua New Guinea.
5: Greetings from Papua New Guinea. My name is Jonathan. Growing up in the suburbs of Port Moresby, our capital city, I was taught many things. I was brought up to be Christian, respectful of my elders, and to understand how it must be to become, for lack of a better word, better. And I ate it up. I was a good little boy. I always stuck to the rules. I saw the world in black and white, but it turns out my views of good and bad, they were skewed. Because it isn't that simple, what I believed wasn't actually right. Now I see where the cracks in those philosophies hide. Dig a little deeper, you'll see the light that seeps through, start to shine. Now I wasn't taught that being the norm was the best thing in the world, but I could tell that it was implied. I was blessed enough to have parents that didn't force these things on me, but let me tell you, the rest of the world, they fucking tried and it worked for a while. I lived by those rules, line by line, following every single letter. I thought it was how you didn't school the approval of the system. I was a fool, but now I know that there's so much more that matters. We were never taught the latter, and it was your fault if you didn't succeed. If you didn't do well, you didn't try hard enough. If you weren't a certain way, then it wasn't you they wanted to see. That was what I believed. The problem came from me doing well, impossible not to look down from a horse so high. And the pride and the ego didn't just grow, they swelled. There wasn't much to keep my feet on the ground with my head in the skies. And that's where some of my privileges lie. Being able to ignore what torments the other side. A side I didn't see. And how could someone so disconnected from those lives hope to understand when it's basically day and night? Empathy, Jonathan. Empathy. I used to care about accents. How someone sounded in English. Now I only wish I understood your native tongues. When a woman says PNG isn't safe, I don't argue, I listen, understanding that we need to do what the oppressed says needs to be done. And that is the sum of my experience, where my values will live and die. Always with the oppressed, never on the fence, I only hope that I prove to be a true ally. So let me just end this with love and solidarity for our LGBTQIA family, and for the victims and survivors of gender-based violence. We believe and we support you power to the indigenous people and people of color all over the world and black lives still matter and last but certainly not the least always Papua Merdeka
0: Sainama Jonathan for your wonderful piece a very strong energy there it had a very good spoken word feel to know that even across the Pacific religion and colonialism has such a hold on some cultures and communities that, you know, like Jonathan said, it's impossible not to look down from a horse so high. He lived by those rules, line by line, and he found out later he was a fool. I think that if you can recognize and be honest with yourself about how you view yourself in contrast to how you view other people in your community and your culture and other cultures, then that's a really great first step. And Jonathan mentioned West Papua. He mentioned how religion and privilege played a role in the way he looked at himself. I think overall it was a really awesome and strong first-time contribution. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Solidarity across the Pacific. Free West Papua. So how about we take a really quick break? Stop, stretch, breathe. And when you come back, you will hear more awesome stories.
6: day. My name is Arti, and I am from the beautiful island of Guam. And we're here today to talk about something that connects us all, something very important, which is value. Now, oftentimes, we may oversee that. We may oversee value. For myself, I didn't know my true value till later in my adult life. I've always been surrounded by value. We all are. We're all surrounded by values. Farmers value the weather. Bodybuilders value their food intake. But no matter what our values are, we look to them as a way of life. It wasn't until later, I started to hold closer to certain values. My job, my family, the things I work for. And as I weave through my later years, I started to recognize that my true value is beyond what my mind can concept. And that outcome is based on the way I value the things I do and how I do it. I started to hold true to the very beautiful value of Enathamalik for the good of all. No matter what changes we encounter in life, in our homes, in our jobs, Enathamalik is a value that we should all bring into great creation into this world. That will give us the outcome we all long for. Good for all.
0: That was RT's piece. I loved how RT mentions inapha which you'll hear from another contributor as well. Trini also mentions inapha and that is to make good. It means a, a balance, a harmony to fix what has been wronged. And, you know, us wanting to demilitarize is us wanting to write the wrongs of our colonizers and fix the Pacific and to spread Anafa Maulik so that we are sovereign nations and we're not in between wars. Artie mentions his job meaning a lot to him, um, his family meaning a lot to him and good for all. And I love that because it really shows you the depth of Artie's love. And if you want to see more about his values give his piece on the Queer Pacifica episode 3 a listen because he really got very personal in that piece and I loved it as well. Sainamaasi rt for your short and sweet piece and I hope we'll hear more from you in the future. So fair warning Trini's audio had a bit of a background noise which I removed so that we could hear her beautiful voice better but it did somewhat morph her voice. I apologize, as I am not a better editor, and I don't have the tools to fix it, that I know of. And I will tell you right now that this is not exactly what she sounds like, but at least her words ring true and clear, and I loved her piece. So here it
7: day everyone. My name is Trini from the island of Saipan, and I'm currently residing on my sister island of Guam. I would like to talk about three cultural values that I consider to be the most important values of my culture, as well as values that I personally try to uphold in my everyday life. The three values are maulik, Respetu, and tubi mamala. If the other Chamorras in this podcast also mention any of these three values, all the more proof that they are central to our way of life. The first value is maulik. This word has no straightforward english definition but let's break down the composition of the word the root word here is maulik which means good if we add fa to make fat maulik that means to make good or making good we will make something good like a situation or something then when you add a you get at fat maulik which means to make good with another person, or um, people in general. Then finally, adding the in gives us inafa maulik, which means the deeds that are done with one another, which makes things good. It's a big word, right? It basically means treating others well. And, you know, there's this endless cycle of doing upstanding deeds or things for one another. If auntie is sick, okay, let's go cut her grass, or let's go make her dinner. You know, little things like that or or big things like socially distancing for the good of others. The second value is respect. Now, this is a Spanish word to mean respect. The deep respect you hold for your elders is a value I see across many cultures, not just tomorrow. I grew up respecting my grandfather, my mom's siblings, their husbands, you know, my older cousins. I have a lot of older cousins. <laughs> and, you know, the elders that I see at Sunday mass. We learn to respect our teachers at school, and you know, everyone down to the lady who sells empanada in the store in the morning. It, it's automatic for us, and one way that we can express this respect is by doing what we call fenini, which is the act of holding someone's hand to your nose and asking for a blessing. Different people kind of fangini others differently, but that's the that's general way. So Lania and I had a fun and interesting discussion about social etiquette when you go to finging someone and while we were talking about it we really showed just how many little tiny social rules we have just by this one act of respect the third value is the act of being mamalo. it means to be shy but it's a lot more than that too it means to show, to show humility and reservation in places where it's needed you often hear people say that someone is Tai which is the opposite someone with no shame no humility And if they say it in a joking matter, it's fine. But when it's not a joke, it can be a serious accusation or insult. Being Mamalao is leaving the last piece of any food ever, untouched at the dinner table or at a big party. We don't want to be the last person who just grabs something to eat or the last food there when someone else could possibly have some. This is common across all islands, and correct me if I'm wrong, asking for someone to correct you too. Can be seen as being mamalo. We're too shy to make mistakes, so we want to make sure we're right. And while this value has some setbacks, such as being too shy to wrongly practice our language, we cannot pretend that this value doesn't exist. If we're in a college room filled with people, teachers may have to pry answers out of their students until everyone gets more comfortable. We're humbled enough to know that the teacher knows what they're talking about in most cases, and we'd rather wait. Until we are ready. So these three values are present today. It's the reason we wear masks and socially distance ourselves during COVID. People who don't value inafatmalik refuse to wear masks because they don't care if someone else could potentially die or get placed on a ventilator. People who don't value respect don't respect other people's wishes that they want to feel safe during a pandemic. They want to see you with their mask on or staying away from them so that they can feel safe. People who are Taimamalau, or those without humility, do not care if what they do affects other people. Uh, you don't see a lot of us protesting in the streets that to wear the masks or to break lockdown. That's just an example. Right now, our COVID cases are getting higher. Are these three cores losing its touch here? Or is, that the, is it that the family bond is still so strong that we can't go months without seeing our godchildren, our grandmothers, our siblings? Who knows? I just hope we see less and less cases. And my biggest hope is that our people remember these values generations after.
0: Sainama Asi Trini. I loved that you mentioned the three main things in Chamorro culture. Well, not the main things, I would say, but there definitely are huge themes in our culture. And that is inafamaulik, respect to mamatlao. Inafimalik is also mentioned in RT's piece, as well as in Tomasa's piece. You know, when I was talking earlier in the introduction about using shame to control the actions of people in your community versus pride, Mamatlao plays into the shame. And so one of the worst things you can be called in English is not a shame. I know it's it's funny, right? So you go and you call the person that balutens or takes food when they open the tables at the novena. You call them not a shame. You're like, hey, that person's not a shame because they're just out here not thinking about anybody else. They're out here getting their balutan before everybody else, and you know that's um, it's something. If you call somebody and you say they're not a shame, that's not a good thing in our cultures. And Trini kind of goes into that a little bit, which I loved. She mentions that Mamatlao that humility, it does have setbacks, but we cannot pretend that it doesn't exist. And that's true. We can't. So there are times where that humility is a little bit of a setback. Overall, I think it makes people very endearing in my opinion, but at the same time, it's like when you're running a podcast, it's kind of funny. Trini's biggest hope is that people remember these values generations after her. And I would say that is a very valid and true hope that is shared among so many Pacifica people. Maasi Trini, for your awesome piece. Sorry about the audio, we'll figure it out.
8: <laughs> to Kalani and Deep Pacific for allowing me to enter this space again and share my thoughts. My name is Tomas and I am Galita, meaning I come from the island of Luta in the Marianas. As of right now, I am currently residing in Guam as a respectful settler attending graduate school at the University of Guam. If there's one value that I believe truly defines who we are as a culture and a group of people, it's this overarching concept of community that is inherent in a lot of the practices we continue today. And when I say community, I'm not just talking about a physical group of people living in a shared location. I'm also talking about that feeling of belonging and being part of something larger than yourself. Belonging and being part of a group who shares the same language, beliefs, values, practices, etc. I say that community is overarching because we have many ways of upholding this value. One example of this value in practice is observed in what we Chamorus understand as poksai. In its basic meaning, poxai translates to raise, nurture, or breed, such as in the phrase Mamomoksai du guaka gilantu," or I raise cows at the ranch. However, it is not used only to refer to raise animals because we also understand poxai in the context of raising or nurturing a child. And even more commonly raising a child of another, such as in the phrase Penexai Bianya or he was raised by his grandmother. Also here, I should note that in my language, we don't have gender pronouns, so the translation is not just specific to males. It's just an example of the Chamorro phrase in context, and it could easily be used to refer to females, trans people, or non-binary people. I guess in a Western context, our indigenous practice of Pokusai is comparable to the foster care or adoption system. However, in our context, this is practiced mainly between family members. It is not uncommon for a person to hear a Chamorro say that they were raised by family members who were not their birth parents. For example, my older sister and brother were raised by our grandparents since they were infants until they were old enough to go to school. I myself at one point was quote-unquote adopted by my auntie when I was in the States during high school. She treated me like any one of her children, and she even encouraged me to get a part-time job during my senior year, which I believe prepared me at an early age for the realities of adulthood. But my family is just one of many in which PokSai has become a working part of our vocabulary. I've met countless Chamorres who've shared that they were raised by their grandparents, or their auntie, or their great aunt, or an older cousin, or a godparent, or even a close family friend. To me, it's like that old adage, it takes a village to raise a child, and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who raises you because in our culture, we have a deep understanding of community as being more than a group of people. We understand deeply that a community thrives on every member, recognizing that they not only have something to benefit from the group, but they also have something to contribute. This community could be the larger family unit, or it could be the wider island unit that is composed of many larger family units. It's really up to us to expand on this idea and strengthen our value of community. Once again, un danko maasi to Kalani and Deep Pacific for allowing me to share my thoughts on community as a value.
0: Saina maasi, Tomas, for your awesome educational piece, as usual, very powerful. Tomas mentions the overarching concept of community and belonging and being part of something larger than yourself, and that feeling is a feeling that many Pacifica share because many of our values as we have seen in this episode so far emphasize community and togetherness. That feeling of being part of something larger than yourself. I feel like maybe diaspora have a harder time with this concept but if you grow up back home definitely it's something that you feel. Especially after a typhoon has struck, people are going around the village, the ones who have cars are going around the village, they're helping to clear the trees, clear the roads, search for survivors in some cases, you know, and that feeling of community and being part of something, you're being taken care of. It takes a village. So Tomas mentions in our culture at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who raised you because we have a deep understanding of community as being more than a group of people. Although that might be the basic definition of a community and that they share some resources, we are more than just a group of people who share resources and share localities. We have a culture that reinforces, that uplifts, that togetherness, that connection. And there are parts of it that don't, but many parts of it do. Tomas mentions Poksai and basically how people would raise other people's children and take them as their own. Personally, I've heard stories from other family members of people offering to Poksai me And my sisters when we were growing up because my parents were young parents. And so, you know, there's those older folks who say, oh, Nen, how about you let me take her and, you know, you don't have to struggle so much. I'll take care of her and she'll be my kid. And, you know, you still grow up with that person. I was just messaging one of my followers the other day and I would consider him to be a friend. And he was mentioning how his brother was pukzied by his aunt. It's such a beautiful concept to give someone that deep, deep happiness of a child if they can't have a kid or if they are having trouble with having kids, you know, to give them something so important, so life affirming and, and that happiness. It's, it's so beautiful. Tomas mentions that we should expand on the idea of community within Pacific Island networks. And guess what we're doing with this podcast? We are definitely trying to expand on that idea. So if you haven't given us a follow yet, you don't follow us on Instagram, please do. We would love to expand our community to include other Pacifica people. And this podcast is made for Pacifica people. So we want you in our communities. If you want to be a part of it, of course, message us, tell us your thoughts, what you think about this. I think that for too long, we've let colonization and colonialism kind of affect our views and allow us to have ingrained dislike of other cultures. And that has just been keeping us down. I feel like we could all benefit from having a togetherness and solidarity. And Sometimes people, especially if they grew up outside of the islands, they don't really understand what we mean when we want connections with other people, especially when it comes to some of our ideas being considered radical. And that scarcity mindset, that's a colonizer mindset. I don't agree. If I don't hear enough about a people, I will seek it out myself. And that's what I'm doing. If you don't like it, get your own podcast. I'd love to listen. Sayonama Asi Tomas for your awesome piece. As a Chamorro from Luta, beautiful.
9: Casalelia, my name is Carol Ann and home for me is the beautiful island of Buenpe in the Federated States of Micronesia, which is just one island nation among many in the entire region of Micronesia, whose ocean is home to the people of the Marshall Islands, Palau, the Marianas Kirpas, and Nauru. The values that I hold as a strong, independent, beautiful Ponpean woman are tied to my social biography. My social biography, as I was taught it, is the social context of my life and my life as a transformer of the social context. And as a part of that social context, I am a settler in the kingdom of Hawaii. I recognize myself as a settler because of the privileges that I have. For me, to recognize and to say that I have privilege isn't something that I just throw around without intention. The journey that has brought me to this point was a heavy one. To be confronted so abruptly by my privilege was heartbreaking. I felt so white. And as much as I felt disconnected already from Puente, having grown up in the diaspora, my privilege made me feel even more disconnected to my community here in Hawaii. I was confronted with my privilege during a fellowship I did at Kauakalihi Valley, um, a clinic here, as a part of what is known as their k program. In this program, I was taught liberation pedagogy, reading Paulo Freire's Pedagogy of the Oppressed and learning the concepts behind Only the Oppressed Can Liberate Their Oppressor. I learned how to use my social biography to navigate spaces both within and around the Micronesian community in Kalihi. The specific incident was when my mentor asked the question Who in here grew up with a bookshelf in their house? When I tell y'all, I was the only person in that room to raise my hand. The intimidation that I felt, the shame that I felt, having to admit to all the young Micronesian kids around me and to myself that I didn't grow up with the same struggles as them. I didn't grow up in government housing. At that time, I didn't even understand the concept of food stamps. My parents were college students when they had me, so I'm not even first gen, nor am I even second gen because I have grandfathers who are also college graduates and then having it pointed out that as college students we already fall into a different tax bracket and it wasn't even just about being a college student there were a lot of other things that came into play a lot of things i had to reevaluate like being able to choose to leave point to pursue a higher education as opposed to many of my micronesian cousins that were forced out here for Lots of other reasons the U.S. Department of Interior is privy to. My mind was blown and my heart was hurting. A lot of things were put into perspective for me. And these self-reflections since then have been three years in the making. And now that I've graduated with my degree and I'm back at KKV, back with the community, I've come to accept my privilege. I've also come to learn that Privilege isn't just black and white, especially for people of color. There are gray areas, and this is where intersectionality comes into play for me. The idea that my identity is multifaceted, affected by a plethora of histories and experiences. There are spaces I inhabit where I am in a position of privilege. There are spaces I inhabit where I am not. There are spaces where I take up too much space and there are spaces where I do not take up enough. To be able to understand my social biography, to get a grasp on how complicated all of these things are, I had to delve into my ancestral history. As a puenpeyan, I placed great value on knowing the origin stories and as a storyteller, I understood that my stories are a part of my history. But to be completely honest, it took a minute for me to see myself in those stories and how my identity played out in them through Bonface long histories of navigation, colonialism, resistance, westernization, etc. I knew the stories of the Sautalor and Isokalagal, I knew the stories of the Sud Rebellion. My part in these stories is that I am both a descendant of the oppressed and the oppressors. As a Tupulap, I am a direct descendant of the Sautalor, who built Nanmatal and oppressed the people of Pohnpei under strict tyrannical laws. At the same time, I am a Tipun a direct descendant of Iso Kalagal, who led the coup that overthrew the Sautalor, freeing the people of Pohnpei and establishing the chief systems we use today. In the story of the Sakayas Rebellion, I am a direct descendant of the quote-unquote rebels who resisted against the German government, shooting the German governor in attempts to protect their indigenous lands. I am also a direct descendant of the German officer who brought an army from their colonies in Papua New Guinea to take back control of Puanpe. Being able to acknowledge that I am both a product of the oppressor and the oppressed, that I am both the rapist and the raped, and that my existence is still valid in the world is what I value. It is how I choose to use these identities to right wrongs, build bridges and make space that make me who I am. Acknowledging every part of history, every part of my history is what I value and is what I was taught to value by Punpeyan culture. In puenpeyan culture, our values revolve around a lot of concepts, and the three main ones that I look to are chiak, wao, and sar, which can be roughly translated to tradition, respect, and character, but those translations cannot even begin to describe these concepts. I know I say this a lot, but it really is the history that informs all of those values. I gravitated towards storytelling because stories allowed me to see the value in people and their experiences. Stories allow me to see all the colors, all the different shades within those colors. My hope is that we begin to see the value of our stories in approaching how we shape our futures. It would be an injustice to continue to believe that our identities as indigenous people fit into a box. Putting value into ourselves, valuing ourselves so much so that we see that the sustainable modes of living that our ancestors used back in the day can be how we build sustainable modes of economy for today. Valuing that as navigators we were always a global society. We traveled. We traded. We always saw ourselves as a part of a bigger world. And had we the chance to develop on our own terms, we could have. That we can claim the future by reclaiming our past, putting value into our values. The people telling us that our culture is holding us back are people who don't see the value in our culture. People who don't understand the culture. People who don't have culture. Culture is dynamic. It has the capacity to evolve and to continue carrying us the way it always has. Kalangan. errer.
0: All right, so that was our very last and awesome piece by Carol Ann from Pompeii. It had a positive energy as always. It was educational, it was inspiring, it was poetic. Carol mentions her privilege and being confronted with it and how intersectionality plays a role in different spaces. You know, she mentions such a strong part. There are spaces I inhabit where I am in a position of privilege. There are spaces I inhabit where I am not. There are spaces where I take up too much space. And there are spaces where I do not take up enough. That was beautiful, and I think I would love to see that on a shirt or something, because holy cow, I had never really heard it put that way, but that is so true. I am privileged in some ways, and I am not in others, and it all depends on my intersectionality. Really, it depends on my history and my positionality in my culture. Carol is a direct descendant of the oppressor and the liberators, or the oppressor and the oppressed the rapist and the raped. It took a long time for her to come to terms with that and to see herself in her origin stories. Today, she values that existence. So she was also mentioning Pompeian values, which are tradition, respect and character. Those are some worthy values and definitely shared. Although character was a new introduction. I like that a lot. And she mentions that as a storyteller, stories allowed her to see the value in people and their experience. And her hope as a storyteller is that we begin to see the value of our stories in approaching how we shape our futures. I definitely saw where she was coming from there. That's exactly the reason for this podcast. So I appreciate her acknowledging that and I appreciate her giving a story today for this episode. Sainama Asi, again, Carol Ann, for your awesome piece. Okay, so now we have reached the end of our contributors. Why don't we take a break? And then when you come back, I will discuss a scientific paper on the status of emergency healthcare in the Pacific. Okay, so our scientific paper we are discussing today is called Emergency Care Status priorities, and standards for the Pacific region, a multi-phase survey and consensus process across 17 different Pacific island countries and territories. This paper was published in June of 2020, so like five years ago in corona time. It was authored by Georgina Phillips. Georgina Phillips is an emergency physician at St. Vincent's Hospital in Melbourne. She is also a PhD scholar with the School of Public Health and Preventative Medicine at the Monash University. She has hosted Pacific Islands Health Professionals during their travels to Melbourne, has an interest in research, and has a long involvement with medicine in the Pacific Islands region since 1996. Shout out to Dr. Phillips. This study is significant because it basically used the World Health Organization's emergency care system framework of standards to set a baseline for what we have now and to build upon that for the future. It mentions that effective emergency care reduces mortality, aids disaster and outbreak response, and is necessary for universal health coverage. Surge events frequently challenge PICTs where robust routine emergency care is required for resilient health systems. PICTs, of course, meaning Pacific Island countries and territories. So this study literally took the World Health Organization's framework to lay out some minimum standards for every step of emergency care. They came out with a really cool infographic as well, which I will post in the episode thread that I will tweet out it's really cool um it is pretty profound and kind of sad because it does give percentages for what is already there that baseline that this this um, establishes is quite a sad baseline Uh, let me just read you a few things from it only 36 percent of clinicians reported trained pre-hospital care providers in their countries More than 80% of clinicians reported unreliable access to care during transport to a hospital. 9% of clinicians reported a centrally dispatched ambulance system. 9% across the 17 Pacific Island countries and territories. And yet this affects us because 9.2 million of us or 10,000 deaths have been due to extreme weather events in the Pacific between the 1950s and 2011. That really is something. 96% of clinicians do not have a high-quality pre-hospital system in their country. That is how it affects us. So if you thought that this is just another boring paper, you might be right but it is definitely good to show that we have that baseline of 96% and we can only get better from there. So before the care even begins, who do you see? What type of training should they have? The staff training level is covered in the human resources and training portion. Um, Infrastructure and equipment is covered next, and this applies to ambulances, the standard set of medical equipment that they carry, their stretchers or trolleys, their radios, etc. Under leadership and governance falls the Good Samaritan laws, or the laws which protect people from liability if they are providing emergency care. As somebody who is a certified emergency responder, I have had to educate myself on the Good Samaritan laws wherever I am. So legislation governing pre-hospital emergency care, like the licensing of ambulances, are also covered under leadership and government, and they lay out a minimum standard that there should be a person in charge in the government who handles all of this. So next standard is processes. This, of course, covers the ambulance or emergency dispatch process, the pre-hospital management of common emergencies being standardized as well as standard operating procedures or SOPs that should be put in place and be consistent from the scene of the incident to before their arrival at a facility to the facility itself. The minimum standards for that is covered as well. And finally, the data. So this includes the calls to the ambulance services being logged, as well as patient care records being standardized. So there's a a few things covered here in this framework. Definitely give it a look if you are interested in that. This study affects the 17 PICTs which were included in the study, and those were American Samoa, the FSM, Kiribati, Marshall Islands, Nauru, Palau, Fiji, Papua New Guinea, Samoa, Solomon Islands, Tonga, Tokelau. Tuvalu, Nui, Vanuatu, the Cook Islands, and Timor-Leste, or East Timor, off of Indonesia. So those were the Pacific Island countries and territories that were included in this study. So how does this study affect the Pacific? As the paper mentions, the Pacific region is vastly unprepared in terms of emergency care to handle surge events like COVID-19 or measles, and other life-threatening events such as typhoons or tsunamis and flash floods, all of which could potentially require emergency care. So this paper basically aimed to describe the current status of emergency care, determine priority actions, as well as set minimum standards for emergency care systems development across the Pacific. Part of my opinion is that I felt like this paper was a nice read. I wish it had included where I am from, the Marianas, but I understand that due to the nature of the survey, perhaps other reasons I'm not privy to, I won't know why we weren't included, especially considering that our healthcare is not and has never been a beacon of light, nor a priority for legislative funding, especially on Guam. After reading through the methods and looking at all the appendices, I really appreciate that the author worked with these stakeholders to help them identify what their priorities were, according to pure numbers, really. They gave a 70% threshold in terms of short-term and long-term goals. If 70% of the respondents mentioned this, then they would put that as a goal. And, um, you know, they used collaborative in-person workshops in Fiji to really identify and get down to the bottom of the data. And like I mentioned, I also love the infographics that the Monash University produced from the paper, which will be posted to the thread when I put the episode out. So what is being done? This study was funded in part by the Secretariat of the Pacific Community, SPC kudos to them. We as a region need to hopefully fund more research such as this to prioritize our care. We need to get our government to recognize that we need to prioritize this care for our people wherever in the Pacific we may be. Now that these guidelines and baselines have been established, how easy can it be to get real data so that we can shake it in their faces to say, hey, can we as a collective like find funding to prioritize health care? Because as some in the Pacific have been experiencing, especially those in Guam and Hawaii, but this applies to everywhere, our people are dying from lack of health care. On top of that, Guam, Hawaii, Tahiti, many more places are unable to close their borders due to their colonizers saying we cannot. And that is just ridiculous. So what else is being done? Um, I don't know, actually. So naturally, I googled what is being done about the healthcare in the Pacific, which is a broad question with caveats, but the results were pretty sad. Articles from 2015, 2017, an article called Health Challenges of the Pacific Region, Insights from History in 2019. Uh, Something that stuck out, though, Strengthening Pacific Health Systems by the World Health Organization, um, as well as another page from them called Building Resilience of Health Systems in Pacific Island LDCs, which are least developed countries, including Kiribati, Tuvalu, Solomon Islands, and Vanuatu. That's what I saw when I googled that question. That's definitely not an extensive list, but that was all on the first page. Future thoughts? I think that we, like I said before, need to prioritize our healthcare. And if there's one thing that this coronavirus and COVID-19 pandemic have shown us, it's that if we want to safeguard our cultures, we need to safeguard our people. And if we want to safeguard our people, then we as a collective must voice these concerns and say, hey, you know, we need to prioritize ourselves. Stop prioritizing tourism. Stop prioritizing capitalism. We have to focus on ourselves. And that's my thoughts on that. Let me know what you think at deep pacific pod on twitter or instagram maasi. Ooh, thank you so much for listening all the way to the very end of this awesome awesome episode on our values i felt like it was important to bring it back to the basics kind of so we can cover it and we can build upon what we know uh so the next episode will also be a back to the basics one And it will cover a theme that was mentioned here. It's definitely a Pacifica value, and that is family. We will cover family among Pacifica communities, among our cultures, among the diaspora. I'm really excited to bring that episode to you next. If you would like to read any or look up any of the resources that we mentioned here, such as the Pedagogy of the Oppressed, definitely take a look at our show notes. Thank you, Sainama Asi, for listening. This is the end of the episode. Nasafu Stay safe. I appreciate you so much.